right, guys, welcome back. This is Pure Lunacy, and of course, we're already laughing because it—I don't know how it happens. It just naturally happens that we're always laughing with Pure Lunacy. Welcome back, Anna. Round of applause. Welcome back. My thank you, thank you, friend. thank you, thank you for joining me. And uh, so happy to be here. Pure Lunacy conversation. <laughs> yes. How are you doing? How are you doing? I love the new hair. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Had had to do it. Had to do it. Um, I'm actually doing okay. Um, as you know, my birthday was a couple of days ago, so I packed in a few things over the past couple of days to kind of try to break up the monotony of lockdown life and bring a little joy into my world. And um, I got to see people. Yay! There was interaction. It was not physical, but there was interaction. There was actual interaction, like in the same room with a bunch of people that I love, and it it made me very, very happy. Um, We were good. We had our hand sanitizer. We had plenty of room to spread out. But yes, we we may have had a surreptitious gathering on Saturday night. (laughs) But, but legitimately within a 5,000 square foot warehouse, there was plenty of room, plenty of room for us to distance. But yeah, it was really nice to be able to actually people a little bit. Like, I can't believe I just said that even like, I miss people. Who knew? (laughs) And how are you? How are you? I think honestly, like checking in is a good thing. How are you doing? You, you're somebody who knows me, and for those who don't, uh, I'm a forever busy person. <laughs> yeah. So it hasn't really registered. You know, I'm still, you know, researching. I'm still working. I'm still writing, teaching. Um, so I, I, there has been no pause button. I think that this has actually added more layers of, of different kinds of work. Uh, so, you know, and for those who don't know, I am a PhD student, so I've, I've grown accustomed to being a hermit of sorts. <laughs> I don't usually, you know, when you're, PhD, you. yeah, when you're working on PhD, you, you become a hermit and like you work with, you, you know, your friends are books. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that hasn't changed. Yeah. Oh and- my goodness. It's, it's interesting. Um, I kind of want to repeat something that we said in our Zoom happy hour last Friday, which again, thank you for joining. Um, your routine, you've gotten to keep a little bit of your routine and a little, little bit of a sense of normalcy in that daily life. And uh, I, would, I would take a little bit of that right now. I, I really would. I think a lot of people would take would take some of that, even though it does present very unique challenges. So, I'm I'm uh, just yeah. My, my routine, uh, other than you know not having to wear makeup or dresses and look nice, <laughs> and in general look nice. <laughs> but my my mental routine has kind of you know stayed the same. I have to wake up early, answer emails, conference calls. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I kind of envy to an extent the folks who are getting to, you know, find themselves or re- recreate themselves and take time to, you know, just take a break from life. And I'm just like, oh, I feel like I need a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> to do all that. Isn't that interesting, to- though, because 
here I am being able to have a little bit of that time and kind of decompress. And I'm looking at you going, I'll trade you a little bit, you know, and yeah, it's just, yeah, and I'm just like, Oh, ugh, life is very I, interesting. Here, like maybe a week. I, I don't know. Cause I'm a busy body. I'm naturally very, I'm, if I'm not busy, I'll find something to be busy. I'll, yeah. I'll go find a new book to read or yes, exactly. But um, yeah, I just, it'd be nice to take a break for I just know. a second, just to decompress. Yeah, but I'm hoping to finish my PhD soon, so uh, there is no break until I finish. Thank this summer, you. summer, this summer. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Bento. I like it. Let's do that. <laughs> I, I just call you that already because, as far as I'm concerned, you earned it like a year and a half ago. Thank you. <laughs> you are I our doctor Bento. Goodness. Well, what do you what do you about this week? Do we want to talk about Wuhan or Bernie Bros first? <laughs> <laughs> You know, let's just jump in there. Yeah. The communist government of, of China. Let's let's go there. Let's talk about them. Because I feel like, and this is just me, I'll start off. I feel like our international communities are not holding China responsible for their misdeeds in the spread of this virus. Um, one thing that I do believe is that it's not an accident. I, I, it's not an accident in that I don't believe that some guy ra ate, randomly ate a bat and it ended up in a wet market and it just spread cr rapidly. I think that there's a possibility that there was, uh, you know, biosecurity issues and concerns and they may have had some experimentation that led to an accident that led to them trying to cover up. Um, I do think that, but it just, it doesn't, it doesn't correlate for, you know, a guy to eat a bat and then suddenly this worldwide pandemic just kind of blows up in the manner that it does. Yeah. And when we know for a fact that this virus has been experimented on, it has been analyzed, it has been examined, um, and it started before, you know, any of this happened because of SARS. And we know that, um, there were a lot of labs around the world, not just China, um, you know, trying to prevent another outbreak like SARS. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, it led to an outbreak like SARS, but right. of course. So, well, you know. the wet market thing has always bothered me. Um, I, I, we did get a piece of news about two weeks ago that I thought was really interesting. And again, I say we got news, but again, we're talking about the communist government of China. So, you know, take with a big old grain of salt. But the the data stated that about 60% of the people that were in Wuhan that were identified as being in that first wave of infections had no exposure to the wet market and no traceable contact to anybody who was exposed at the market. market. Yeah. yeah, so it's not, that's not, the singular origin. Two plus equal 22. Oh, I thought it was 11. Four. Yeah. <laughs> I promise yeah, it's, you it's, it's four. Yeah, it's like it's not adding up and, you know, getting information out of that country is like pulling teeth. And mm -hmm. also, I believe they they doubled the cases in Wuhan. Um, they went back and, you know, because they keep I'm revising those numbers. Where did all these cases come from? Yeah, all of a sudden... We know that China is a communist government. 
Um, I, that, that's what, this is one of the reasons I, I make sure to be very careful because uh, one thing I know is xenophobia is real. I know that uh, prejudice and racism is real. So I try to be very precise with my words in blaming the Chinese communist government for this cover-up because the large majority of Chinese uh, citizens and residents are not at fault. Right. Uh, right. And I do have believe, to separate. Yeah, and I do believe that I I I I've called it since day one, and you and I have had this conversation. I've called it since day one the the Chernobyl of viruses. Yes. And they're trying to cover it up. They failed, and they continue with the lie. And one of the things that I read is um, there were some university professors who, who, you know, studied and as a result came to the conclusion that, yes, this was a lab uh, not created or a lab uh, accidental um, uh, virus that got out. And suddenly they removed all the publishings from the Internet and the communist government of China does no longer allow any of these universities or professors or researchers to publish anything with without approval of the government. And I'm just right. like, like, come on. I know you're, like, are we still back USSR kind of days, Cold War? And obviously, clearly we are. Clearly we are, because another thing that I read on was that this uh, blatant nationalism, and there were people who were celebrating the fact in, in the communist uh, government of China, who are celebrating the fact that the virus has come to the United States and quote unquote put the U.S. on its knees. Right. I'm just like, oh, right. so those are fighting words. Yep. <laughs> and you don't want to you don't want to mess bit. with America. Like, don't don't mess with us. Don't yeah, do and, you know, it's 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 unfortunate that the government <clears throat> continues to obfuscate, to lie to lie not just to the people, but the entire world. We still, and we probably will never know the scope of the virus in China. And the people of China are being put in danger by their government. And that I think is another important part of the distinction that we have to make. Again, you said, you know, xenophobia, racism, bigotry, it is real. And we have to be very specific and say, the criticism is, towards the government. Their people are being harmed right now. Absolutely. Their people are being harmed. And that is a continuous cycle that is always going to happen as long as you have a party charge that is solely focused on maintaining their power, period. That's, There's no other calculation. They're authoritarians. They're authoritarians. Main, right. Maintain power, make money. That's it. That's it. That's it. And they don't care who's who's at risk, they don't care what lives they put on the line because it's not their own. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> and something they that's interesting. You know it. <laughs> and you know something that's interesting, uh, as much as you, know, you and I and, and certain folks in our communities are trying to take the initiative to prevent the concepts of uh, xenophobia and nationalism to occur here in the US, what's funny is that it's happening in China and in China, one of the biggest groups to be targeted right now is not only the Muslim community, but also Africans. Yes. And they are they are targeting Africans and uh, Black Americans, Black uh, Europeans, and they're literally uh, treating them like trash and telling them to stay home. Uh, 
the virus is spreading because of you. Yeah. And it's propaganda. One, it's propaganda yep. from the communist government. And second, it started in your labs. So how the heck are the Africans in China going to be the guilty ones? Yeah. Always, it's always about scapegoating and shifting blame. Like it's horrible. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is a political game that's played all over the world. Distract, 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 distract. Look at the shiny object over here, so that you're not really looking at what's going on. That's that's all they're doing right now, and it's it's such a disappointment. Yeah, yeah, that's one word I put on it. <laughs> I will the not drop an F bomb. I swear I will not word. drop an F bomb. <laughs> Oh, the Bernie Bros. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then I'm, but no, but no, you, you make you make a very salient point. Um, there doesn't seem to be a real connection to that wet market. That's in all likelihood not where it came from. And it came from the Wuhan uh, lab. We know it. Everybody knows it. Everybody's going to know it. I'm going to say something that our media was trying to do because our president did say you know i don't believe that this virus or what he he, he kind of made the notion that this virus was man-made and initially yeah. our american media painted him like a lunatic um and yeah. he, he, he he's a wild card he's a wild card, <laughs> wild card. <laughs> his wild card way but he was right he wasn't he wasn't wrong um and we need to you know i okay let me let me phrase this correctly. Um, I understand the frustration of folks who don't like the idea of removing funding from who, the World Health Organization. However, if who was in cahoots or in any way played a part in covering up the true nature of this virus and um, how bad it really was coming from China, then I have no problem saying cut off all ties with them. I have no problem being like, you know what, you're going to be siding with the regime. And that's why, you know what, I'm also very not happy, very upset with the UN and the fact that they put China, uh, a communist regime, let's call it what it is, on the Human Rights Council. They have a chair at the Human Rights Council. And oh, I know. know that the Chinese communist government is rounding up Muslims and executing them in concentration camps. They're being xenophobic against Africans. They they have this whole history of being evil and unhuman right-like, and yet here they are being treated with kid gloves still. Still. Yeah. I mean, it, I think what that all comes down to, okay, first of all, uh, I want to backtrack to one thing. As far as defunding who goes, that's a real big if that you're talking about. When you say you know, but it's temporary. They I remember, it's temporary upon investigation of their I know, behaviors. but I'm just saying it's a real big if. Yeah. And I hesitate to jump to a conclusion until the investigation is complete by the right parties. Like, I'm not, I am absolutely in no way on board with defunding who, considering they do some amazing work around the globe, they may have completely boogered this. And it sure looks like they did early on, especially when they wouldn't declare it a pandemic quickly. Like that was a really bad it move. It should have been called a pandemic really, from junk. Yeah, yeah, that was a really bad move and they did hesitate. But again, I'm not gonna make that leap on an if. As far as the UN goes though, co-signed because 
that country, like you said, practices terrible things internally. And we haven't talked about Tibet, okay? Like, like, let's get real with that. Are the protests in Hong Kong? World's worst beer. Very upset about what the Chinese, the communist government of China continues to do to the Buddhist population within their country. Um, yeah, to have them have and a seat. Christian population for decades. Yeah, they, they've been executing exactly. and yeah. putting in concentration camps. And like they just. Yeah, you you there is no moral justification for them having a seat on the Human Rights Council. Therefore, do they have a seat? Money, because exactly. they are an economic powerhouse but in we've this. we made them that, and that's the oh, biggest. Problem. I don't disagree. It's like we, what dog wins the fight? The dog you feed, and we fed them, and we yeah. literally starved ourselves. Um, look at Europe. <clears throat> Europe is a great example of countries that used to be powerful, they do nothing now. They have no manufacturing, they have very little foundational um, parts of their economy that can sustain them. They are dependent on other entities. Now, if you're somebody who believes in a global economy and a global government where everybody's one and we all function together, that's great and a great, wonderful utopia, but we don't live in that reality. Right. And our country should be cognizant of that and have the ability to have at least a foundation to sustain yourself. And fortunately, in the U.S., we still have a certain level of manufacturing, but not the foundational necessities uh, type of manufacturing that we should have. And I think that we should follow in Japan's footsteps and remove the large majority of manufacturing from China and let them deal with themselves. If they're going to be playing games and letting viruses go around the world and still lie to us and say, oh, we had only five people get infected. Everybody else is okay. That's a lie. (laughs) Yeah. And so the question becomes, the question becomes, how do you recapture your manufacturing base because as we know corporations are all about the cost save and the profit and a good a huge reason why manufacturing moved to asia was because labor costs are lower and there's no environmental regulations mm-hmm. like there's a lot of things that make it cheaper to ship materials halfway around the world, manufacture them, and then ship them back instead of building them here in our backyard. So there's got to be some kind of incentive. Like, how do we recapture that? There there was an attempt. Um, I will say this. There was an attempt. uh, And I'll give an example. Here in the U.S., there's a gentleman who makes the N95 masks. It costs them 10 cents to make the mask. In China, it costs them 2 cents. Yeah. So it's very hard for him to manufacture something that costs 10 cents. Is so how do you balance it? that? <clears throat> and in 2015, there was a proposed um, bill in the House of Representatives, of, and it was a big deal back then. It was TPA and TPP. Yeah. And I'd love to tell this story because I worked in Congress at that time. Oh, nice. A fellow <laughs> in a fellowship. And um, at that time, President Obama was trying to push this bill through. And the, the interesting thing, because to me, I love to I love to be in the politics, but I also like to be the wallflower. I like to see the reality of what's going on. And the interesting thing at that time was that 
the group that was supporting President Obama was not the Democrats. The group that supported President Obama were the Republicans. And the Republicans had his back. And they were pushing hard for TPA and TPP. And essentially, I'll, I'll, I'll give the breakdown here. Essentially, the, the bill would have allowed for manufacturing to be compa- compatible and competitive with Asian countries, the tiger countries, right? And essentially, there would have been a provision that would have brought up the prices of those Asian manufacturing um, goods that would be compatible with the goods here. Unfortunately, there was an incorrect rumor that spread to unions that this would take away their jobs and this would take away the manufacturing. But in fact, it was an attempt to bring those prices up so that we can bring manufacturing home. So we can unions. Literally, within a week, the unions were able to get their lobbyist groups, and I will say this because I was there, and this is how they work. They will call their union members, they'll have these phone banks, and they'll say, hey, our union is against this, just tell them no. And sometimes they wouldn't click over fast enough, and you could hear the phone operator say, hey, hey, okay, go, just tell them no, okay, go. And the person, you would speak to the person and say, hello, thank you for calling so-and-so's office. And they would say, "Um, yeah, I don't know why I'm calling, but my union told me to say no for this, so I'm against this. And literally, the Democrats in the House of Representatives, led by Nancy Pelosi in 2015, listened to these lobbyists, listened to these people who were calling their offices, and changed the vote. It was so bad. And I love telling the story because I was in the middle of it. It was so bad that, look, there's one rule that happens whenever there's a president and there's Congress. One of the rules is the president doesn't come to Capitol Hill to try and lobby for a law, for a bill. He doesn't. If anything, he'll call people over to the White House. He'll have discussions. Yeah. There were freshmen representatives being directly contacted by the White House, by Barack Obama, to have a sit down in the Oval Office. These freshman representatives said mm-hmm. no. And the reason I'm saying this is because they they uphold him as this revered and they they turned their backs on him. They turned their backs on him and said, no, we're not doing it. So Barack Obama came to Capitol Hill, had a private meeting with Nancy Pelosi. They come out. The, the cameras are clicking. You can see them walking through the hallways of Capitol Hill. And guess what happens? It gets to the floor. Nancy Pelosi in front of the cameras right before the vote. It's like, oh, it's a wonderful conversation. We're definitely going to be taking things into consideration. And they vote against it. They stab Barack Obama. Of in the course. Back. And Republicans <laughs> had his back. <laughs> I love politics. <laughs> that is America. So when I say, you know, and one of the That's things awesome. that people find frustrating is, you know, Priscilla, you, you don't always take a hard stance for or against uh, um, these politicians. You don't ever, you don't ever take a hard stance. One of the big complaints I get is I don't take enough of a hard stance against Donald Trump. And I say, because you don't understand how it works behind the scenes. That's okay, and girl. He, I'll take the hard stance thank, for you. Thank you. <laughs> I give him a lot of credit because... I give him a lot of credit because there's a lot of good things that he does. Um, now I'll call him out when there's bad things like grabbing people and stuff like that. And I'll say, absolutely not. No, sir. Not today, Satan. But <laughs> there are good things. There are good things. And we need to give credit where credit is due. But we could have had. one of those good things, you let me know. 
Five, oh, I'll give you, I'll give you just one. Uh, the first step, the first, uh, what is it? The first, um, what is it? First Step Act, basically helping try to uh, remove people from prison who committed only one crime and they've been in there for decades. That's one of the big things that he's done um, in justice reform. Um, he's, he's taken a step that many have not taken just yet. Yeah, but I regardless of that. I don't think he's done that on his own. He had people in his ear. Remember we talked about Kim Kardashian last time? Like the man listens to famous people. Celebrity influences him. And she, I think, right, here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to give your girl Kim a little bit of credit for that. I like, I like her. I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm giving her a little bit of credit for that. Because I don't think, I really don't think that that was an issue that was on his radar at all when he walked into the Oval Office. He had no idea about that thing. It's not something that impacts him and his circle. And she was able to bring that to his attention and and get it on his radar. And yes, something good came out of that. I, I will give that one see, little thing. But, so but again, I'm crediting her, not him. Because I really don't think it would have happened if she hadn't have spoken up, you know, so I'm gonna give that to her. I'm gonna give that to your girl. Okay. High five, but, I want, but I do want to go rewind back to this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could have, we could have brought back a lot of manufacturing in 2015. If that would have worked out. If one, the unions and their lobbyists had not been fed incorrect information. And two, if Nancy Pelosi and her goons had enough of a backbone to say, you know what, this may actually bring manufacturing back to the U.S. But now, but now that the Rona is here, guess the Rona. everybody's ready. And now, you know what, now everybody's like, you know what, bring that manufacturing back. You know, maybe, again, that could be an unintended good outcome of the time we're having to reflect on everything. If we do decide, honestly, collectively, that that's something that we need to do as a nation. Let's go. Let's go. I would I would love to see that result of this craziness that we're going through right now. And there's so many people that need it. So many people that need it. Um, and I mean, look at Detroit. Look at Chicago. Look at our Rust Belt. It's called the Rust Belt because there's no jobs. Exactly. We need, exactly. We need it. Because and the manufacturing equipment there is left to rust. And one of the, and I will say this, one of the things that I, I read um, just a little earlier today, I think, um, somebody saying that, you know, it's sad that people uh, are fighting and protesting because they want to go back to work to, to continue to uh, um, enrich their, uh, the rich or something like that. Yeah. And, and one thing that I think we need to remember is that our country and the foundation of how our economics works is dependent on people working. It's dependent on uh, people contributing through that capitalist um, framework. And I think that people are starting to realize that if if everybody stops working, our entire system collapses. Yeah, and on that note, on that note, I hope that people are now realizing where the economic engine of our society rests. It does not rest 
with the billionaire classes the and Mitt Romney's, with Mitt Romney's job of America. Right. It's the job creators are not creating any jobs right now, guys. They're just not. The people that drive this economy are your healthcare workers, your restaurant servers, your movie theater ushers, your creatives, your people that go out and spend small money. Small businesses. Small businesses are the, I, you yes. know, like it could be like a campaign slogan. Small, it, I think, actually, I think it was with Will Ferrell. <laughs> he said, small businesses are, you are the backbone of America. But it's true. It small is true. Are the backbone of America. Absolutely. And they shouldn't, I think it was Shake Shack. Shake Shack, a, a multi-million dollar company. Yes. Signed up for money that was meant to go to small businesses and they received $10 million. You know what? They gave it back this morning because of the backlash. And Ruth backlash. They they re, they said that they were able to get some kind of equity something and so they no longer needed it. So now they could give it back. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you know, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse did the same thing. They they took like tons of money out of that pool. Meanwhile, for example, I know plenty of millennial entrepreneurs who, you know, have facilities down on Main Street, who have facilities over in Magnolia and Fort Worth. They can't even get a loan for their small businesses. These are literally like those little mom and pop shops that you want to see on Main Street of all places. The you money drive was meant to go to small businesses, and we have these major corporations who signed up, and they were approved yes. to, get to get this PPP. It's ridiculous. It's Unreal. It's, it's rage-inducing. It's seriously rage-inducing. When I look at my friends, like I have a friend right now um, who had to go from 45 employees to mm. six and she may not recover her business when this is all over. She can't even get the website to load to apply for the assistance. It's, it's, but what it does show is this. It shows that we I'm have a system that now. was not prepared, a system that was not prepared for a true disaster. Exactly. And George Bush back in the early 2000s was saying we need to prepare for a disaster we need to prepare and people were like no terrorists ah and it's like yes terrorists but we have but, disasters that could also happen and we need to prepare for them and they didn't yeah they didn't. No, nobody did the, katrina was like the canary in the coal mine after that happened we should have been fully prepared for a national disaster of whatever origin be it yes. a pandemic or a hurricane or some, whatever it is, we should have been prepared. We clearly were not. And now we were 20 something million people just in the past couple of weeks filing for unemployment who are now suffering because of our lack of preparedness. We are. And, and you know what? I believe this is a lot of times when I start seeing people discussing these issues, they're trying to blame the other side. They're yeah. trying to blame liberals. They're trying to blame conservatives. I blame everybody. Yeah. I'm an equal opportunity offender. You know why? Equal opportunity I'll, haters I'll for a minute. I'll say why. Because a lot of people who have been in Congress, a lot of the people that we see as leaders in these parties, um, both left and right, have been there for decades. I mean, they've Literally. been there longer than I've been alive on this earth. Literally. There's the problem. <laughs> That's how the problem. you are leading us. 
Yeah. And this is why I believe the founding fathers had it right. Serve for a certain period of time and live your life. Right. Invest your time in in training and preparing the next generation to take and the lead learn. and go. Yeah. And leave. But no, we've allowed these people to be there for 30, 40, 100,000 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and now we have a system that they've created and they want to place blame on each other when we know that you both work together. Because when you're underground walking those hallways, y'all are talking and chit chatting. And oh, yeah. And you're all having your dinner. We all know the truth. Mm-hmm. Get out and let the next generation take the lead. Because clearly, what you've been doing for 30 years ain't working anymore. Exactly. Co-signed, signed, co-signed. And I'll tell you what, my my feelings on term limits have changed significantly in the past decade or so. I used to be very anti-term limit. Like, no, you know, if they can keep getting elected, blah, 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 blah. But over time, as you observe these people become more entrenched and only concerned with their own self-interest and re-election prospects when they stop doing the work of their constituents, I'm all for term limits right now. When, you know, I was, I was now, very, I let me give you an example. Term limits. Right, but right. Like, you got to have at least look, three look at George Washington. He's our example. He's a yep. prime example. He was there for eight years and he said, thank you very much. Now, goodbye. Yeah. And now, if you can't do something within a decade, Thank you for your service. Goodbye. Agreed. Agreed. And I was actually very pleased, like on that note, um, those who don't know, like I live in Arlington and two election cycles ago, we actually passed a very strict term limit bill for our city council. And we had a very similar situation where we had people on the council for like 20 years. And and, and if I may say, I'm going to say it, they were all white and over 65. Okay, only representing a very narrow demographic of our city. Our city is becoming younger and more diverse. We passed term limits, six of them gone already. We now have several people of color on our city council. Finally, we have people under 50 on our council. Finally, and quite frankly, stuff is happening in Arlington. You can see that the decision-making has changed in the output, in the policy output, and the way this city is changing. And, and here's the thing. We needed I, it. I love it. How do we, as a society, push for a diversification? Uh, and when I'm talking diversification, I'm talking diversification I'm of, of age, diversification of, of demographic background, yeah. diversification of profession, how demographic, you know, diversification of income, because the large majority, what people don't realize, and this is, this is something that I was discussing with somebody. I said, one of the, the, the things that just uh, irks me the most is the fact that we have people right now on both sides playing politics, not passing bills to bring relief to American citizens. And what people don't realize is these are a lot of them are millionaires. A lot yes, of them are very wealthy. So they're not feeling the burn. They're not feeling the angst because they live in a bubble of privilege. And I'm talking, I'm not, not talking just, you know, the older white male. A lot of the older 
people of color who are in Congress are very well off because in order for you to get to Congress, you have to have a certain financial foundation where you can even run. And then when you run, you have to spend millions of dollars to just try and get into Congress, whether it's House of Representatives or the Senate. You look at the numbers, they've exponentially inflated since, um, what was it? FEC versus Citizens United. Now, don't even get me started on FEC versus yeah. Citizens United. Oh, oh, you know, first worst Supreme Court decision since Dred Scott. FEC versus Citizens United will be, you know, another pure lunacy conversation. Oh, yeah. We can spend all have a whole conversation discussing Seriously. how that destroyed American politics. It destroyed American politics. I don't care what anybody says. Right there. 100% agreement, 100% agreement. Corporations that are not the people. Corporations are not the people. People who get small businesses, people who have, yes. Money is not speech. It's not. Let me say, it. it is inherently unfair that money can buy, can make your speech louder and more heard than anyone else. This is supposed to be a republic, a democratic republic. How can you have that when the balance of power is so lopsided? You can't. Yeah, we can talk about Citizens United for like an hour. We can do that. An hour, two hours, five hours, you know, because then we then we start going down, you know, Marbury versus Madison. Ah! (laughs) Dr. Yanni would be so proud. We would start going down that tunnel and look, the academics in us would be very apparent. Hello. I didn't right here. Put on my hat, you know. Heck yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, no. But you know, at the end of the day, I think what this is doing is it's shining, like you said, the light on, on who really matters. And it's right. shining the light on the fact that our backbone needs some protection. Um and these corporations, thank thank you very much. Um you know, and I'm not, let me, let me preface this. I don't believe all corporations are evil. I right. just don't believe that they should have the majority say when the majority of people are not at the head of corporations. Well, again, the majority of people are small businesses. Just majority of people are entrepreneurs. The majority of people are, is the everyday man and woman. Um, and, and corporations, thank you. They are made of men and women they 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 do constitute a voice they do constitute a voice but they should not be the only voice correct or the loudest loudest they shouldn't be the only voice like you said they should absolutely not be the loudest one Mm -hmm. that just that's how it is yeah and i you know that's something that I think about a lot. You know, you, you told that wonderful story about how, you know, you had an interest group that basically killed something that could have been very beneficial for our manufacturing base here. And corporations do the same thing. Corporations should be looked up, looked upon as an interest group rather than as a person. Corporations are not people. You know, they may be made FEC of people. FEC versus but- Citizen United. Okay, y'all. Pure lunacy. We're going to discuss FEC versus Citizen United. We That's going to be another conversation. We're going to bring that up because yeah. that... If you don't know what FEC versus Citizens United is, do your homework, my lunatics. Do your homework, even if it's just reading Wikipedia to understand. Do a little bit of homework 
and look it up and see how it changed the landscape of politics in America. Absolutely. And the best, if I may say, there is actually one really good part of Citizens United, uh-huh. and that is Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dissent. Every, that should be required reading because she lays it out exactly why it is so bad in, in layman's terms, too. Like, I would highly recommend that. Again, lunatics, do your homework. Yes, do your homework. I'll give you the cliff notes of what Citizens United did. It basically said that people donating money is a form of free speech, and you cannot uh, basically put any parameters or limit how much a person or a corporation gives. So that means if Walmart, Johnson & Johnson, Amazon, Yahoo, Google... Uh, if, if these major corporations want to give $12 billion to one candidate legally because of FEC versus Citizens United, they can. Bingo. That's the cliff notes. That's the cliff notes. We'll discuss yes. it another day. <laughs> yeah. The, the easiest, I think the easiest way to put it is two, two major things came out of Citizens United. Corporations are people and money equals speech. Which it That's doesn't. It, it does it not. not. It does not. It is not speech. It is not speech. It's no. not even close. Wait, we'll do it together. It is no, not speech. We had to our minds at least once there. Dude. The coroni macaroni has got my brain now. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that phrase. I got. I got to give credit to the Jerry Jonestown Massacre podcast for inventing. That phrase, the Coroni Macaroni, it is great news. I've never heard it. Now I have heard it. The yeah, I think, think it came from. I think it came from one of the guys' kids. Like they couldn't say Corona, uh-huh. and it came out Coroni Macaroni. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've heard. I, look, I've been using Rona because that's her name. Because Rona the, got some problems. Miss Rona. But people apparently haven't heard about Rona, and I'm just like, you've heard about Rona. You know Rona. <laughs> How could you have not? Oh, well, not everybody's as cultured as we are, apparently. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, my gosh. Oh, guys, this is pure lunacy. I just want to say thank you again to Anna. You're amazing. I love you so much. I love you. I like on, love and respect you on yes. every possible level. And, again, so grateful, first, to have the opportunity to be here with you, and, second of all, just to know you and watch you grow and become this amazing woman that you are, like, Yay, love you. Love you so much. Yes, we will be back. Don't worry. Anna ain't going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we'll have more people, more conversations, different concepts. And as you can see, we don't always agree on everything, but what we do is respect and love on everything. And that's something that we've forgotten as a country is we don't have to agree on anything, but what we do have to do is learn how to respect and love. You don't have to like anybody, but Jesus said love people. So, you know, (laughs) cosine, atheist cosine at that. (laughs) See, we don't agree, but it's okay because at the end of the day, respect and love. Exactly. Um, We'll conquer and create bridges that, you know. No one else can can try to take down. So. Yeah, and we're all in this together. We period. Are. So we need to treat each other that way. You know. Yes. I love you. Thank you. Love you too. Bye.